Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Thanks for joining us for the first ever Take Two with Heidi Hatch instead of Rod Decker. We're doing this new millennium style. This is going to be a podcast, and we found the two most boring guys we could find to hang out with us. <laughs> Jim DeVacus and Greg Hughes. Greg, when I think of you, I think Speaker of the House. When I think Speaker of the House, I think Master of the House from Les Mis, which is a totally inappropriate <laughs> song, but for yeah, some reason, yeah. Speaker of the House always comes out in that rhythm. So tell me what you're up to these days. So I have, I could, I could revisit my day job. I, we are a part-time legislature and I've had a very patient business partner, but uh, I have work on the professional side that I do. But I've also stayed very attached to the policies that I've worked on over 16 years of public service. So uh, I am still an advocate. I'm Citizen Hughes. Citizen uh, Hughes. These issues still mean a lot to me. And so I still uh, have, uh, have an opportunity to serve on the Odyssey House Board okay. uh, that helps with behavioral health and, and rehabilitation of people uh, suffering from addiction. Uh, also the Pioneer Park Coalition, and that's that area around uh, Rio Grande area, and there was a little operation around that area that yes, we've I heard about that a little bit. So, been staying busy. Okay, husband Hughes, is your wife liking having you around more? She or thinks not so I'm much? about to go through a midlife crisis. She doesn't know the family doesn't remember me when I wasn't a lawmaker. You know, it's those yeah. were formative years, 16 years, last 16 years of our lives. So they're all worried. They're all waiting and seeing. And I'm coming home around 5 p.m. nowadays. Uh, Krista's. Doesn't confused. know what to do yeah, with you. So, this so. might be the midlife crisis right here. Yeah. And uh, we also have Jim DeBacchus, whom you may know from the Hill. You're a retired man of sorts right now, too. What do you do in your free time? So it's back a little bit like Greg to earning a living. So over the last eight years, the grand total, I, I was not a citizen legislator. I just was in it. I can't, I just couldn't do it. So the most money I made was $18,300. My husband said, okay, enough. Now go make money. Get a real job. Uh, you know, come on. I've had to carry you long enough. You're a kept man, and now go earn some money. So now I spend all day just wandering around neighborhoods in coffee shops, you know, pretending I'm work, working. Because you understand that's not actual gainful employment. I don't know if Steven <laughs> told you that, but... That no, is no definitely money in not. that either. <laughs> no. Look for me in a coffee shop near you. <laughs> okay, so Jim DeBacchus is a kept man, a sugar daddy, what whatever you've got. One. What have you been doing? Well, I have yeah. this job here at night from 2 to 11 p.m. And how many shows are you on every day? Uh, 4, 7, and 9, you can catch me anchoring. 5 and 10 o'clock, I do live desk, and I'm doing Connect to Congress on Wednesdays, hanging out with you guys on Fridays. You're kind of a big deal. I think that's what you just said. That's right. So can, we're can you notify my kids and husband? One more thing. What, what it, does it matter? Like, what if you're... What if you give the wrong newscast at the wrong moment? You forget where you are or what you're talking about? Well, luckily we have a teleprompter, so we're good on that. Uh -huh. And uh, Twitter, Facebook, social media, you'll see me there. Where I actually found a bingo. Have you seen the bingo card where you're actually a placeholder? Jim yeah, yeah, I did. I saw that. So there's um, a City Weekly put out a bingo for this legislative session, and you can actually win a spot when former Senator Jim DeBacca sends out an alarmist tweet. 
It happens every day. <laughs> I was going right? to say. So it's like they should have those on there several times. So. I was just going to say that that space got eaten up like in the first five minutes of the session when we I started. Know. I think he didn't like how they were sworn in. I think he was upset. No, and you didn't make it on there. So anyhow, you can find that on City Weekly or Twitter or wherever you want if you want to play bingo. So we want to get to the issues of the day. We're going to start with some fun. We know there's some big issues this week we want to get to. And we really do want to talk about issues that you may not really truly understand at home. And you two can get into the weeds where sometimes we don't understand it, right? Okay. Yep. Okay, so we're going to start with plastic bags because it's fun, then we'll get to the real stuff. Uh, there's been a bill floated, I think, two, three other sessions to get rid of plastic bags here in Utah. Is it going to happen this time? And is there a reason why we haven't done it? Do we not want to save whales and dolphins? What's the let's, problem? Let's go down this uh, sinkhole with Jim first. Jim, why don't you give your <laughs> spiel on this? this oh, you've got amazing. a spiel. Have you seen the pictures ever of the sinkholes of a place out in the Pacific the that islands? is bigger than the island, or bigger than Texas? And they're all over and they kill all the wildlife, they, uh, all the fish, they kill everything. There is no reason, we have no constitutional right to plastic bags. And what's happened, so we can enjoy this moment, we re it has a significant effect on destroying the planet, all for the sake of this. You're not allowed to go off camera here. I see <laughs> yeah. you're going what freestyle. Is, Wait this. What, I Look mean, what do we need these for? The and plastic. Why, I, we can just recycle them and Jim bring them in, but the legislature's never going to let that happen. Yeah. So why won't it happen? Because we all shop at Costco here in Utah. You don't get a bag there, and sometimes we make it home with all of our stuff. That's great. Inside the He's house. the one that wouldn't let it happen last time. My goodness. Okay, so Jim talked about the bags. Okay. But this war also includes straws. Okay. True. One-use uh, plastics of all your, sorts. Your, your water bottles. Here's the classic setup. Okay. Guys like Jim, and I love Jim, he will, he will set the stage for a very draconian narrative of plastic and how scary it is. But what's the alternative, Jim? What, so what would we what about use those otherwise? Bags? So that's cotton. They use cotton. Are you going to use the biomass in the fields to have more cotton for your bags? You got to use those bags, reusable bags, over 130 times just to get to where you were by way of, of making it net zero in terms of its impact, 130 times. If you're not, you're just growing more, more cotton, you're using more of the biomass. Here's, I want to show you, a, I want to show you Jim's new proposed. Okay. I know it's a podcast. I know they can't see us. I am holding in my hand a box of water. It's a box of water, not a bottle of water. This would fit perfectly, Jim, in your narrative that we need to get rid of this plastic. However, boxes probably were trees at some point before they became a box. How many trees do you want to cut down to have boxes of water? It's kind of like how do you mentioned at Costco yeah. where you gotta start holding all your groceries in your arms to get out of the place because there's no bags. What are we gonna start drinking out of our hands? I'm I, I am completely supportive of finding ways of recycling and making sure we recycle plastic and doing it in a responsible way. But ready, fire, aim, banning plastics before you understand how you're going to replace these items in our, in our lives is I think too premature. It does happen. I know that Starbucks recently, they, when everyone was getting rid of the straws, tried to change their lids. And my college daughter taught me that when they redid them, they actually ended up using more plastic. And in the effort of trying to save them, made more. So it's a problem. It's got to be solved. Why can't we just recycle it here in Utah? By the way, I keep hearing that these bags get used once. Doesn't everybody have a drawer full of the plastic bags from their, from the grocery store? My grandmother had it. I mean, we, we got a lot of That's plastic right. bags we use. We reuse these bags. I do. We yeah. need the incentive. 
The average, the average bag is used for 22 seconds or, you know, no time at all. There, there's a reason, and we ought to charge at least for plastic bags. That's a bill. Bags. You'll see that bill coming through the session right now. It's one that will probably get a lot of attention. but it's And you'll uh, crush it. Yeah. Your, your, your Let's put them in scrape. lifts and Ubers for people who barf, and they could use them for that. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I, I hear that, that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Put them in there. Um, Let's talk about one of the more serious issues right now because people at home were worried about the fact that they voted in Prop 3, Medicaid expansion, also uh, medical marijuana use, and they're looking at the legislature saying, you're taking away the will and the right of the voter. We voted for this. You're taking it away. Is the legislature taking it away, or is there fine-tuning that needs to be done in a system that makes things make sense? So I'll dive into this first. I think the Proposition 2 on the medical cannabis, I think there is an important distinction with that one. Uh, the, the, the gentleman that literally authored the proposition yeah. for consideration, the group that marshaled all the signatures to qualify for the ballot and raised the, the money and ran the campaign in support of Proposition 2, came together before the election of Proposition 2, yeah. before Election Day, with those that were opposed to Proposition 2 mm -hmm. as written. And common ground was found. And on October 2nd, before a November election, mm -hmm. it was clearly and in a transparent way stated that we felt that there was common ground to move forward whether the people voted for or against Prop 2, creating access for those that, that wanted, act without being criminals, access to medical cannabis. We believed we found a way forward to do that. We think and we believe that that proposition with that information as part of the equation, we think many people voted for or against Prop 2 with some of that understanding of people coming together and finding common ground, different yes. than Prop 3, where Prop 3 has to do with medical uh, Medicaid expansion. You didn't see any of that effort to find that common ground ahead of time. And now you see the legislature looking at uh, changing the details of that proposition. I will just say this. I think that so long as the coverage gap, those that do not have health care because they're in that lower income bracket, are able to have that health care, have Medicaid, I think that the legislature will be honoring that. The way you do it, I think if you look at other states, and if you even look at our state in the past, Heidi, the, it becomes law, it becomes statute. And statutes are subject to lawmakers with amendments and changes. It's, it's part of that process. It's getting a lot of attention today, but it's happened in other states in terms of legislatures coming together to tweak or to address unintended consequences. It's happened in our state before. And I just think that the obligation of a, of a legislature is to inform what that process looks like and that the will of the voter is being honored and that we need to cover those people that are vulnerable that don't have health care. So are we honoring or flushing? Oh, my dear, dear friend, <laughs> Mr. Hughes, those baby blues are getting brown oh. from all the bull that yeah. I just heard. You know, this was such I a, mean, this is a family show till you went there. Let's, let's talk about what this. in the world? The Utah Constitution says the people and the legislature are equal in making laws. It's that simple. It's clear cut. But there's an arrogance and a smugness and a paternalism in the legislature patting the people on the head and saying, we know better. And you really don't know. So they had the arrogance to get a few people in a room, in a closed room, with a lot of lobbyists and say, whatever's on the petition, whatever the 200,000 people all over this state got together and signed, we don't give a damn whatever is on there. We're just going to go ahead as a legislature and we're going to do what we want to do because we know better. 
And the changes they made were not small technical changes. They were draconian. Do you sometimes know better, though, because you obviously were in the legislature for a long time and probably had this air of authority over people at some point, too, who are thinking, okay, I'm here, I understand, I listen to these meetings, I see the budgets. So do legislators sometimes know better because you're better educated than the average voter who's just checking, yes, I want some weed, yes, Almost I want some health insurance? never. The people oh, uh, have it right. Take, for example, Medicaid expansion. Okay. Imagine the federal government since 2014 saying to Utah, here's $800 million that you've already paid for, Utah. And the legislature setting up endless commissions and panels led by a guy who is in the insurance business and who fancies himself as the guy who protects insurance companies. And a guy, by the way, whose district desperately needs this, one of the poorest in the state. So what did the legislature in their infinite wisdom do? Because they have this ideology that says, no Obamacare. They take that $800 million, they refused it in 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Finally, the people go and say, you guys are full of crap. We want that, and we've set a mechanism in to pay for it. But doesn't Utah lose money in the end? It's The federal dollars come, but we have to match them. No, Utah. we don't match them. It's 10%. Of an unknown it's 90-10. But do we have that 10% is the question. Yeah, and, Look, that, and that is the unknown because I will tell you this. <clears throat> it, it would be the only place in this state budget where you have to budget to an unknown percentage. Now, you can raise a tax, and they did raise in this, in this Prop 3 a sales tax to pay for it. But it's revealing that they wouldn't let that sales tax float to whatever the cost would be. They set the sales tax at a set amount on an expense that the take-up rate in terms of people that file for it can grow, the cost of health care can grow. You can't, the, the states don't print money. So if you have a growing item of your budget that, you, that goes quicker than you think, you have to take it from somewhere. It's, it's the reality yeah, it's, of it. And this is why you have a democratically elected republic. We may as well make governance a American Idol program where everybody calls in and just votes on their favorite presentation but the reason why we have a democratically elected republic is that we're all busy paying bills, running our lives. You need someone to read the bills, someone to understand how the budget, yeah, the all the pieces of the budget fit together yeah. and then vote on yeah. that. And I will tell you that if you say that the people in these large propositions, you, uh, I, I don't know if you're assuming, Jim, that everyone's read word for word every single word of it, but to say that that, that is a more informed process than those that you send, including yourself, to that session to read the bills and make a vote of conscience representing people their people they have to report to, to it's different and it's a, it's a it's different system it's 150,000 people and it's 80 million dollars for 800 million who wouldn't take that deal you know what arizona takes it new mexico takes it nevada it. takes it colorado takes it idaho's taking it montana but the utah legislature no, we know better. We don't want that Obamacare. Return the money. We but don't want to have anything to do fixes? with it. What about the one where they're trying to have hospitals take part of the burden? Hospitals will make a lot of money off not having to carry the burden of people who aren't insured, right? We already right? solved the issue by doing a sales no? tax. We don't need a solution. This is an ideological move by cold, callous legislators no. that, so ideologically, that ideologically don't want to take this money. It's paid for. We're returning $200 million. We have a billion dollar surplus. We have plenty of money to cover that. It's only $80 million. We're gonna collect 90 million. It's all an excuse. 
And it is, it is clearly something the people got, but the legislature, the product of this weird little caucus groups that are always appealing to their right, this is a catastrophe. Now, right? we, we, the, fundamental, the fundamental effort of this legislative body and with the voters who voted for Prop 3 is that people without health care will have Medicaid, will have Medicaid, Medicaid expansion. Medicaid used to be for people that were disabled. Yes. Um, and also for children. Okay. okay. And we are now making it income-based. And if you are in that gap of zero to 100%, which Obamacare left That's out. That's zero to 100% of you, the averaging. You can, you now will have coverage. And that is the gap that didn't have coverage that will. However, you gotta pay, you can't make promises. You can make promises uh, and let somebody else figure out how you're gonna pay for it or what those consequences are. But if we're gonna be fair to people and say, look, we're gonna give you a program that's sustainable. These dollars and how you pay for it, it matters. And this is the revealing part for me. Back when I was in this fight, mm -hmm. I had some physicians that were, you know how physicians get. I'm sure we're gonna have a lot they of physicians listening. They want you to take listening. your clothes off, they're, they're, the table. they're very, they're very bossy, okay? They really know a lot about you, okay? <laughs> they know about you, tell you what to do all the time. I had these physicians, I was meeting with them to talk about Medicaid expansion. Yeah. They're saying to me, what, like Jim did, what don't you get about, you pay $1, you get nine back. Sounds like a good Is it because you're deal. a rich man who lives in Draper and you have health insurance and you don't uh, get you it? Know, no, I think these doctors are saying, you don't understand simple math, where if I pay a dollar and I get nine back, that's a, that's, that's a business you should get into every day. My, I said to them, the difference is the state doesn't get anything back. You, the healthcare provider, the doctor, you will receive the nine dollars. So I have an idea. You pay the buck. You know, so all the healthcare providers, you pay the dollar to receive the nine. Do yeah. you know why they said no? It's unpredictable. We don't know what the ten percent is. They began to make the case that lawmakers have been making on behalf of the taxpayers and the people that need this. Those healthcare providers started saying the same thing when we came up with a plan that said those that would receive the nine dollars in Medicaid expansion dollars to provide the healthcare you pay the dollar to get the nine, they summarily rejected it because the, it, that math is not that simple. I, I, that that I, tells you something. Look, There's, there I, is I'm a little not, daylight being brought I, into I, that I'm scenario. Do you, do you buy any of that though? No, like, no, it is all a fabrication. In, in the special session this summer, yeah. the state had a $55 million immediate windfall of sales tax money. It's gonna turn into 70 million every year and the legislature went in emergency session to give all that money away to corporations. All we had to do is take that $70 million a year on top of the $90 million we've already allocated that was in the initiative, and we never would have to think about that. The legislature is all there for their little pet projects. $40 million last year pet, for the Olympics. That would be the economy. That would be one of them. The Those Olympics four, are good uh, for the, the economy, though, no, right? Listen, no, they, they appropriated $40 million to fix the luges and stuff, and then another $15 million this to have Olympics. parties. I love the Olympics. I'm saying the money is there. The priorities of helping poor people that there is a, a disregard for among so many legislators they can't even imagine. If you're making minimum wage or even $10 an hour and you're making 1600 bucks a month and they say, well, just go buy insurance. Baloney. To get this up to 130. But would most of those people get it under the current plan that the legislature is pitching right now? Would most of those people be getting coverage that you're talking people. about? 
Everybody up to 136 percent. Well, 100, uh, zero to 100 is what the legislature is proposing, which is the gap. But but, but Medicaid would get it up to 136. To give you an idea, a single person who's making about $26,000 a year is there. Been there, a done that. A family of yeah. four. These are not rich people, and the legislature is saying, you know what? Go out, go get it yourself. Do you Don't hear, do you get out the of there. Numbers? You want to hear the real numbers? So it's a single person that makes $12,000 a year or less is at the 100% poverty level. Yeah. Right now, under Obamacare, Obamacare covers anything above 100% to 400%. So right now, if you made $12,001, you would be able to go into the exchange and have subsidized and available health care. What the Medicaid expansion program said is, hey, we're so rich on the 90% for Medicaid, we want you to take some of the people we're already paying for and have you pay some of that. That's been a problem for the legislature, especially with this 10% number that you don't know. So we've said, look, the gap, the people that don't have the coverage is the people making, a single person making $12,000 a year or less, we need to make sure they are covered and they will be. And that is the part that gets missed in all the rhetoric that's going on right here. I wish, when Jim talks about the rich people, I, I wish, here's, a, here's pulling behind the curtain. I was raised by a single mother. Yeah. The majority uh, whip, uh, majority leader, maybe I'm giving out too much information, but Francis Gibson, raised by a single mom. You have people that are in legislative leadership that were not with a silver spoon in their mouths, born into affluence. You have people that have experienced poverty. We are making sure that we, what we commit to people and what we say by way of coverage is real. There's a lot of ways to draw down a lot of federal funds in the beginning, but if you don't, if it's not sustainable, you're not being an honest broker. So we have, we have admittedly struggled with this issue to make sure it's a sustainable program. What they ha they, they, I'm watching them. They're working on it. They have it. The people have spoken. It gives great momentum to make sure that this is done. But you want to know why this is such a big deal? Do you know how many issues? We have in-care hospice where people need help inside their homes. Yeah. We can't keep the wage uh, competitive enough to keep people employed in that area because the budgets are so tight. But you want to know why this issue gets so much attention? It's because there are hundreds of millions of dollars for who? For doctors, for hospitals, for executives. Let me tell you, if this wasn't the big money game for the larger healthcare providers, you wouldn't see this the way you do with the narratives you're hearing. Which is a whole problem in and of itself, right? we got to wrap this up, but just a lot of that is wonderful blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the Republican plan cuts... 50,000 people out of the program entirely and says they're go already off on your the, own. They're already in the exchange. And the second thing that it does is it the state pays 30% instead of 10%. This just could not be more stupid. And heaven help us if that happens, to overturn the will of the people and to not do what all the other states. Utah's turning back hundreds of millions of dollars. So what about Utah first. being the state that... I guess lifts people up instead of giving a handout with the work requirement and that. Is that a good idea where we're getting people like moving? Look, most, no. most of the people are working. A lot of the people can't work. They are mentally ill. You see them in the homeless. You yeah. see them other places. Uh, and this is going to set up. A, this is going to set up a whole process that people have to go in and be checked out by bureaucrats. It's it's like the bureaucratic. Welfare if, if, they're, if they're if they're disabled, they're already covered by Medicaid. These are these are people that are not disabled that we're talking about. The work program is also uh, training. It's yeah. not just work by itself. Uh, you want to help if there are people that are struggling to the point where they need health care. 
There's other issues probably going on in their lives. We have a very good economy right now. Uh, having a focus on training, you know, securing a job and employment, there's nothing wrong with that. That's yes. actually a good thing. We could use a whole show right. to fix the I know, the we could go the whole show to fix the healthcare podcast on this. I know, right? I want a whole healthcare program where we figure out the yeah. root cause instead of covering up with drugs. But that'll be another podcast we talk about to solve the problem. We've got a big tax cut we're talking about, too, which sort of plays into this because people are saying if the governor in a state of the union says, we have $200 million, let's give it back to the people, why not pay for something like this program? Should we be giving this money back? Should we be lowering how much we're paying when we're shopping at the mall? I mean, what do we do? Let me start on this one. Uh, well, I'll try to be briefer on this one. All right, use your nice you know, voice. The, the Republicans <laughs> are so proud of their fiscal soundness of the state of Utah. You know, we're just so proud, we're brimming. The truth is, Utah's 49th or 50th in funding for the last 30 years. If we were funding at funding average for education, for education, for yes, for education. if we were funding at average, not the top, but on the average, we would be a financial basket case along with Illinois and some other states. We're not a well-managed or a fiscally sound state for any reason other than we are robbing our children by not funding education. So when they say we've got this extra $200 million, let's give it all back, they gave away 70 million to business yeah. just in one bill. And there are hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that go in special tax breaks to the cronies of the legislature that provide funding for them that you can't imagine. I mean, my whole business, my whole six years. So who was gives that money? Were you ever lobbyists. a part of that? Because there is a lot of money going to special interest, right? I never took a dime from a PAC or a special interest or a corporation the whole time I was in the legislature. I just, I, Thank I you hate for that. it. All right. So what do we do then, Greg? Because I mean, I moved from Florida, where I think my kids couldn't have more than twelve to fourteen kids in their classroom. Yes. Came to Utah, where there was thirty-three. It sure. sucks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, it's, it's should we give the money to our schools? Do we so, give them back to people? So do we this is school? this is where we have to be careful with it. As a, now that I'm outside the legislature, let me just tell you, the worst thing that could happen in good public policy is that cynicism can really creep in. We've seen a billion. We've seen over a billion dollars in the last four years that I was speaker injected needed in our public education system but if the rhetoric doesn't change as we've seen the funding for education sweep high and go and, and, yeah. and more money come in if the word the verbiage we use and the words we use and the criticism remains the same you'll create an atmosphere where there's there's nothing you could do that could that that could make things better it's it's a circular argument how are we doing terrible we don't have enough money here's the a record amount of appropriations for this year ever seen in education how are we doing terrible why because we don't have enough money it becomes a circular argument and that's where the cynicism can come in i will tell you this we have some unique demographics in utah more ch children per taxpayer yeah than any other state you have uh, a young state in terms jim, of jim thanks for helping us out on that no yeah, kids and from so, you good <laughs> and so you've got and, and you, if you're a young of. state what are you if your average age is 31 in your state what do you make by way of edu by way of income, it's our, our state income tax that pays for schools okay. versus a Wisconsin where your average age is in the late 40s. So even your tax base from that taxpayer is going to be less when you're a younger state. Those kind of variables exist here in the state. And even in that, even in that climate, we are seeing more and more of our, we need, it's the number one issue in every district and we don't ignore that. 
We are putting more and more dollars into our public education system. It is improving. I think the relationships with our state school board, our local state uh, school boards are stronger than they've ever been. But we can't just keep saying we're the worst of the worst because we, d we are moving the needle. And we, need we can get better. Craig, but, hello. But, I mean, it's but, not hey, time this for place, a This type of criticism plays politically. It it's does. not time for a standing ovation. Because the legislature and the governor are so excited. Made. All this money is going to education. We can, we're crazy. It's so wonderful. <laughs> and you know what? We're still 50th. So it doesn't matter. Are and we I'm smart saying with our money, though? I mean, after no. we moved here and I wasn't happy to have my child in a 33-size classroom, she still got a full-ride scholarship. So something went right after we got here, even though I was mad. It is bad thinking by the legislature. They are so in the philosophical whole of giving money to corporations that it's just like that 70 million dollars they had to rush in the special session to make sure all of that money went to a few corporations and it's that I remember way a tax cut jim i do not remember a hand of money to corporations that, i remember tax cuts for the people for people for families no so no i'm talking about go? i'm talking about the special session this summer where we took all we took the, the new internet the, tax the, the, the money dependent. and we gave it to a few corporations. Wow. That's what happened. We did do a story about that, and I don't even think we know who the corporations no, are. No, you know, that's against yeah. state law, John Valentine says. I said, who's getting the 70 million? And they said, well, that's proprietary. We, we also cut tax. So when, when the national tax reform happened, there was a limit on the deductions of dependent children. Yeah. Uh, when we saw the surplus come in, we, we went into that special session and also allowed for uh, deductions on your state income tax for more children than the federal yeah. uh, reform allowed for. So we brought uh, tax relief for families. So the, the well. more children, we are rewarding people to have more. I mean, I'm, I, look, I'm I, I'm in favor of that, but don't expect a high fi. Come but, on, uh, just uh, you one, know what, just teachers? One. Come on, here we go. Uh, see, uh, here we go. See, I told you. Teachers ought to strike in Utah. It's worked all across the country. They need to break through this 30 years of, they're in the Stockholm Syndrome. So Heidi, I'm gonna, pose, I'm gonna pose a question real quick. I don't know okay. how much time we have left, but I'm gonna pose a question. I have a classroom and I wanna take 30 students and I wanna make it two classrooms because I wanna have 15 in a class okay. instead of instead of so one So you need two teachers now? So now I need two teachers. If I hear from my educators in this state that we're not compensating teachers enough, yeah. how do you double the rank of, of, teacher, of your teacher pool when you're not paying your teachers potentially, or if you had money, you'd want to compensate your teachers yeah. more. How do you double the classrooms while shrinking the number from 30 to 15, pay everyone that you, all the teachers you were, double those, pay them more, and what schools would we have that have twice the number of classrooms we that we have today? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's easy to say better teacher pay and lower classrooms, but as I've just described that scenario, it's not that simple because you have I need to make sure that educators are well compensated, that it's a career. It's yeah. not something that you do for two or three years, burn out and, and leave the profession. We need this to be a career that people stay in and, and continue to help children and, and, and do the good things they do. That requires that to be a good income. But that works against multiplying classrooms, shrinking those classrooms down and having more of those teachers to, to compensate. When we have a pool of good teachers today, we've got to invest in. So it, it's hard. It's 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 the it's the deep grass of this education funding. It's it's easier to throw out those platitudes. But when I sit in town hall meetings and I ask a teacher if I could shrink your class, or I could give you a, a, an increase, 
pay increase. They'd rather pay their bills than have less stress in the yes. pocket. You know there's what? A lot, there, there's a lot there's on other the, on options. The, the Debacus bill last session, in 2008, 2006 actually, we went to a flat tax. We were at 7% in the highest bracket before then. We went down, everybody pays 5%. So your Romneys and your Huntsmans and whatever, guess what's happened since then? There's $322 million a year, a year, every single year since they went to that flat tax that people making $500,000 and above would be paying in taxes if we were at 7% instead of 5% for them. And I have yet to meet one of those $500,000 people that doesn't say, hell yeah, I would pay 2% more to see $322 million. So you could bring $322 million provide a lot of these double classrooms, not touch any of the working people in the country, and everybody's happy. But the legislature and the governor are in the pocket of a few of these ideologues and these very rich people. I am not. Governor Huntsman proposed this flatter tax, and he said if we do this and we leave more money in the pockets of people, families, businesses to invest in, in, in their businesses and see those businesses grow, we'll see a more robust economy. He said that, and we, we did this reform, uh, the budget was about 10 billion. It's going to be 19 billion this year. I will tell you that everything that Governor Huntsman predicted by way of growth, yeah. uh, economic growth, growth of tax receipts have gone greater than he said. When, as a, when you say when people can, when they have their dollars in their households, in their businesses, can invest. It grows the pie because prosperity means you're paying more taxes. So if there's such it prosperity and, and Herbert. When he's, when he's not, that, that no, but here C keeps saying, we've got the best economy, it's fantastic, and look what's happened since Hussman. Fine, your great experiment worked, right? Revenues are there, why are we still 50th? What the hell went wrong? Everything worked fine, everything worked fine, except many, it didn't get to the classroom. Jim, how many of the listeners of this inaugural podcast know that every single year, I've been, and I was in the legislature for 16 years, every single year, there were more children entering kindergarten than seniors graduating out of high school every single year. Our student population numbers grow every single year. There's not a lot of states that can say that. That puts a continuing pressure on the, on the funding because just to hold serve, just to repeat what you did last year, you're looking at 40, 50 million more that you have to be able to just keep the status quo, which we don't want. We want more than that. But when you have that kind of student growth every single year, that's a reality that doesn't really touch on politics. That's just, when people say I'm growth or I'm anti-growth, we're growing. You, you can say Whether you don't like, like it or not, not. Yeah. the growth is here. Well, so that, well, that is well. a variable that you, if you, you have to understand that that variable's there to know that that's one of the struggles we have. The kids are hungry. We, you can't all eat because there's too many of you. Look, that's our obligation as a state. And we're growing. And the obligation we're is not to be 50th. That is supposedly what we're all about, this grand experiment go after the 500,000 people, put them back what they were paying. We still had a state, everything seemed to work before 2006, and stop so many of these corporate giveaways and there would be a billion dollars in that pot without taxing anybody. Yeah, corporate giveaways scare me, but what I'd like to see is both of you teaching school maybe. Like after you leave the legislature, <laughs> you, you do two or three years in an elementary school. If you do well there, you can go to junior high. No, you know, I went to Rose Park Elementary every Thursday for two hours, spend an hour with the kindergartners and an hour with the fifth graders. Cute kids. 
that's where this passion comes from. You cannot look, particularly at those at-risk children, 29 kindergartners and this magic teacher with taking her hands and having the kids do everything. Every single person, every single child in there, a child of color, and then to look and think 45% of those kids are not gonna graduate. We're doing something wrong. We, that is a scary figure and the way that it ripples down into so many other things when somebody Look, I, I will agree with Jim right now. You've got a crossroads in ed, public education. If you have a child that comes into, uh, comes into our public schools and they are not at grade level and they have an individual education yeah. plan which is special education, if they are not reading at grade level by third grade, the statistics show sadly that they will be in special education or have an individual education plan the rest of their time yeah. in school. We have to make sure that we are that we are getting these kids. This is it is our future workforce. It is a trajectory that that we are obligated uniquely even in our state constitution. Our criminal justice system. We have to get that right because by third grade, if we haven't, the consequences could be lifelong. Jim is exactly right. What I want to make sure people know is that is not lost on this le on the on the legislative body on the executive branch. We understand the charge and we understand and we know and I know in the time that I was there the amount even with more students now than there ever were before. We are funding more per child today than we were last year or the year before that or the year before that. We have been growing that and, and putting resources into that as much as we can. To the extent of the tax reform or the tax cuts, there's some tax reform that's being proposed this year at the same time which is a very heavy lift that I think is meant to kind of if you're gonna tax new things, services, which the state has not taxed before, uh, providing tax relief is one of those areas that they're trying to gain the support of the public on, on a holistic level. So I think that there's, some, there's, some, there's a blending going on with tax cuts, yeah. with some tax reform, which reform means uh, your, your attorneys, your real estate, your accountants, your, your uh, Uber driver, your Grubhub person that brings you, Things that are service oriented that we've not paid a sales tax mm -hmm. on before, there's a proposal to start taxing those things because they're a part of our household income that 20 years ago they might not have been. And But to do that and to know that you're going to start taxing some of those things, uh, the tax cut is I think meant to uh, be part, part of that package. Are they going to have tithing included in that? You know what? I'm pretty sure they don't automatically take that out Jim, of your paycheck. I don't think the man upstairs service is something you can tax. I know you want to, but no, you can't I, tax I, I that didn't guy. Say I'm, for See, it, I'm just saying. I think the man up there would be the first one to help the school fund. But what do I know? Uh, wow, you guys have a straight line. I certainly <laughs> don't. Have. <laughs> yeah, all the Sorry. time. Right? <laughs> You've got it on your cell phone. All but right, we, we agree on we, we agree, agree on that. I okay. mean, Governor Herbert's kind of we're going to get the sales tax down at three point. Seven or one point seven percent, just DOA, right? I mean, I, I think it's going to be a very heavy lift. Here, here's the thing: on a, on a policy level, wonkish. Yeah. Maybe we've gotten too wonkish in this first podcast, but you want to, if you want to broaden the base of things that you tax, you okay. can lower the rate. So if you have a four point eight percent sales tax, but you begin to put sales tax on things you have not been taxing before, you can take a four point eight rate and lower it down to less than two percent. That's that's the concept. However, it, you're not going to get there through Uber. Uber. You're not going to get Uber's there not through save everything. The, the, no. the, you know, the person that cuts your hair is not going to be the one and creating a sales tax for someone that, that at, a, at a beauty shop. It's not, it's, it's not going to be found there. It's going to be in the big things. What are the big things? Real estate, yeah. attorneys, appraisers, 
uh, accountants. Well, they have a strong presence at the Capitol. Two percent. In other and words, according to this, that one, even 1.77 percent. A strong presence, so their lobbyists is what you're trying correct. to tell Every correct. time okay. you sold a house, you you're going to have to pay two percent up front as a sales correct. tax. That ain't flying anywhere. The Speaker of the House, the President of the Senate, the leadership, none of which inexplicably is from Salt Lake County, by the way, and the first time anybody can remember, nobody is from Salt Lake County in leadership. It's it's a terrible thing for the for a third of the state not to have anybody in leadership. But that aside, they are real estate driven, not by bribe, but by that's the way they think. That's how they roll. It's their reality. There's, there's here's, no way they're going to the let key, that happen. This is where Jim, because Jim and I, we agree. And one of the things we want through this experience in this podcast is you've heard a lot of differences of opinion. Yeah. Um, but we're genuine friends. And we've actually worked. And I know this is going to ruin Jim's street cred. Probably mine as well. <laughs> but we've worked well on, on, I think, impactful policy together because solutions and problem solving is not found in anyone's respective political party. You have to find common ground. I agree with Jim and we agree that if you start exempting out some of the big service uh, entities uh, out of this plan, it doesn't, there is no reform. It doesn't make, it doesn't yeah. make any sense because you're not going to see the revenue. The whole purpose of that is to, to not see your, your sales tax revenue shrink because you're taxing less things. You want to see that be a lower rate but bring in more money. If you begin to exempt out the bigger items or bigger things that are service related, real estate, attorneys accountants, it's not worth doing. And so the lobbyists gotta, are never going to allow that, Greg. They so it is. It's, it's a heavy lift. I don't want to be a, I'm not going to be a hater. I mean, I've, when I was the speaker, I didn't like when people said what, actually, when they said what you couldn't do is kind of a motivation, but that's a very heavy lift. All right, haters are going to hate. Hopefully you don't hate this first ever podcast of Take Two. If you do, it's Jim's fault, it I swear. True. We'll be back at it again uh, next Friday, tackling as many topics as we can. I feel like we need four hours for this because we didn't get through like a third of what I wanted. But this has been fun. It's been good. It, re it reminds me, I hope not, of the governor's state of the state. That night I watched it on Channel 2. On the, Thank you for uh, watching on Rerun. Channel 2. Yeah. I didn't need to take any Ambien. <laughs> he actually had a couple funnies, right? When he was talking about the lieutenant governor and everything. I was asleep yeah. by then. Oh, you so, were. Yeah, that was like right at the first. Yeah. Okay, gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us. We hope you have a great week, and we'll be back next Friday.